is a reading from Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning at verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joel, second chapter. 28-32 And afterward I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions even upon the manservant and upon the maidservant in those days will I pour out my spirit and I will show signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And whoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be delivered and saved. For in the Mount Zion and his Jerusalem, and there shall be those who escaped, as the Lord has said, and among them, and among the remain, remnant, remnant or survivors, shall be those whom the Lord calls. This be the word of the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you, Father, for uh, the clear parts and the tough parts. We ask that you would work in our midst by the power and presence of your spirit, that we would come to know you more deeply, serve you more fully, and love you and, and adore you uh, with all of our hearts, Lord. So, work by your spirit now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have a culture that that loves and kind of honors specialization. I'll tell you what I mean. We had trouble some years back with our cable TV. And so we called the company and they said, we're going to send out an outside specialist. We said, okay, an outside specialist. Does that mean someone who works for a different company? What is that? So outside specialist comes, knocks on our door, and, and says, I've been down at the end of the street working, and I can't find the problem there, so the problem must be here. So 
I'm going to follow the cable and see if there's a problem with the cable. So he follows the cable, he gets to the wall, he says, oh, the problem's not here. I'm going to have to put in a ticket for an inside specialist. <laughs> I said, an inside specialist? Yeah, he'll check the cable the rest of the way. But it's the same cable. <laughs> and, and he said, now, sorry, when that cable goes into the wall, it's no longer my domain. I, I have to turn that over to an inside specialist. I said, well, there is a space between the wall like between the outer wall and the inner wall, and there's four inches gap in between there, what if it's there? We pull the cable, <laughs> and if the tension is on the inside, then it, then it goes to the outside specialist, but if the tension is on the outside, then it, it goes to the inside specialist. Wait, wait, hang on a second. Are those specializations there to provide help or to make the specialist feel important? Specialization has a way of making us seem more valuable while we become less useful. It can also make us seem superior and exclusive. And we so often read this human tendency towards exclusivity into the Bible. I'm going to give you some example of the kinds of words that we think of as, as being primarily exclusive kinds of words. Covenant calling, election. We tend to think of them in terms of privilege or we think of them in terms of exclusion. But really, they're about service and inclusion. And I think about it, the covenant is God's way of including people into his people. Mm -hmm. he, he creates a covenant so he can have a relationship. He, he elects and calls people so they can be his. We think of the, the priesthood in Israel as being an exclusive, maybe, caste. But their function is to help people have a relationship with God. Their function is to help everyone to be able to draw near. We might think of God's glory as exclusive. And we think, well, yeah, those are the ways that we're, God is distant from us, because we can't draw near that glory, right? But we also use a word that's not a biblical word, it's a rabbinical word. We use the word Shekinah. It comes from, from Mishkan. It comes from the word that means to tabernacle or to dwell. It's the way that God dwells with us. In fact, if you think about the tabernacle, you think of this cloud that surrounds his glory, and you think of the incarnation of Jesus, there's always that God has adapted his glory in order to dwell with us. It's him saying, I am, in, I am unapproachable, but I want you to be able to draw near. Mm. When John writes, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Amen. God, in his gloriousness, in his holiness, has worked in history to bring us near to himself. This, this whole time we've been talking about this idea for weeks now of God's glory with and among his people. And we're leading up to next week, which is uh, Pentecost Sunday. And this Sunday is Ascension Sunday. And it's crucial that Jesus went up so the Spirit could come down. And all of these things are connected because what distinguishes the church from any other group in the world is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Take away the Holy Spirit and we are the Lions Club or the Rotary Club or some other club. Yes. Yeah. We're just a gathering 
with the Holy Spirit's presence here and Jesus being at our center makes us different from every gathering, makes us distinct from every gathering, makes us unique among all the gatherings in the world. So when we talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit, we talk about his anointing. But we have to go back into the Old Testament and begin to see what this whole matter of anointing was about. And in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil as a sign that they were selected and empowered by God for a particular purpose. And we've got to think about these two things that go together. Set apart to serve. Set apart to serve. When we use a title for Jesus and when we speak of one another, we're using the same word, the same idea of anointing. We call him Christ. It's Christos. It's anointed one. We call one another Christians. We're talking about the the anointing of the Spirit upon us. And of these three roles, prophet, priest, and king, there's a sense in which maybe prophet speaks most closely to who the Christian is as the anointed of God. The prophet serves in a way to be a very good, clear model of what God is doing in the New Testament. I want to give you two reasons why. The first one is this. Because the prophet is God's instrument to address sin and injustice in the world, in political systems, and in religious systems. God called his prophets, yes, to address his people, but he often uses them in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to address leaders of the people, whether religious or, or political. We have examples that I, could, I had a bunch of them, but Saul, uh, Samuel to Saul, Nathan to David, Isaiah to Hezekiah, and in the New Testament, John the Baptist to Herod. All of them calling out injustice towards kings and leaders. And as, as God's people... We're, we're guardians of justice in a way. We're called to speak out. The Christian pronouncement that Jesus is Lord, which is the primary prophecy of the Christian, it's the word that we have for the world, is God's word that breaks down the forces of wickedness in high places. The prophet anointed by the Spirit of God is... So God's instrument to address the matter of sin. The prophet is also anointed by the Spirit, the, the renegade expression of God's sovereign call. I want to tell you what I mean by this, because it's a, a little bit odd. This is what, what Pastor Hannah called so beautifully a few weeks ago. I loved it when, when I heard it. The elusive and uncontrollable presence of God. Amen. The, the priests and kings were supposed to be ideally from Levi and Judah. But God called prophets without regard to family lineage. And while he might call a prophet from the, the royal family or the priestly family, he can do that, they always spoke as outsiders. The prophets were women and men. They were young and old. Think of Jeremiah. I'm but a youth, Lord. They were poor and rich. And they were addressing the systems that around them. Like them, the followers of Jesus will not fit the normal religious mold. We 
are not called to be beholden to the religious establishment. We're going to find ourselves at odds with culture and religion and politics all the time. It's part of our calling. We find ourselves, we don't fit into either category. In fact, I'd say we're too conservative for the conservatives and too liberal for the liberals. Amen. We're too far on both ends because the call is so countercultural that it's radical. And so the vision that, that Joel has of this God-soaked people, spirit-infused, spirit-saturated people, um, is that which comes after this. We heard, um, we heard a few weeks ago from Numbers chapter 11 where um, two of the elders didn't come into the tent when the spirit fell and they began to prophesy and Joshua said, should we stop them? And Moses says, no, how would that all God's people would prophesy? We said that what became, what was a hope in the lips of Moses became a promise in the lips of Joel. But certain things had to be in place in order for the Spirit of God to rest on the people of God. Because the Holy Spirit needs a holy temple. So, so Ezekiel lays out in, in that section we read in 36 of the way that the new covenant would take place. And if you follow it really carefully, you're going to see it's the same steps laid out in, in Leviticus for anointing the priest, okay? So what has to happen is God's people need to be called and gathered, cleansed and clothed and consecrated. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit can't happen until this occurs, because where's the Spirit going to go? So, the, so what has to happen before the Spirit can be poured out is the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. When those things are taken, have taken place, then after these things, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the, the Lord emphasizes in, the, in his word to Joel the variety of people that will proclaim his word. All in this means sons and daughters, young and old, servants and handmaidens. And the result is that they will prophesy, dream dreams, see visions. So... What does the giving of the Spirit signify? It signifies, first of all, God's favor towards his people. God is, it, is a generous father towards his children, Amen. says Jesus. And as such, he gives us his Spirit. It's the generosity of God. It's the favor of God. That God has made things right between us and him through the blood of his Son taken away every, every debt, every barrier, everything that could, could keep us from feeling that we can draw near, could cause us to doubt that God welcomes us. He, ta he, he has removed every obstacle, and then he can pour out his spirit. Amen. So he's done that. It's an expression of his generosity. The word here is poured out. He, he doesn't sprinkle his spirit on the church. He's, he pours out. He takes the whole bucket and turns it all the way upside down. When you were saved, you received the spirit. How much of the spirit did you get? I don't know, but how much room do you have in you? He gave you, he gave you generously. You know, in, in Psalm 133, it talks about pouring oil over Aaron and it runs down his face and over his beard and onto his garments. That's what he did to you. He saturated you. He soaked you. He poured out upon you. So it shows God's generosity. It also shows the fulfillment of God's promises. 
God has been faithful, and he has been working in history in order to do this. And I'm like, well, <laughs> okay. Well, Lord, what, what are you going to do? I mean, do you have a plan, like, for changing the world? Yeah, here it is. Do you have a plan for, for shaping the culture? Yeah, and here it is. Do you have a plan for, like, helping the hurting and the brokenhearted and the poor and the needy? Yeah, and here, here it is. Yeah. This is it. He has been working towards this. You. This is the fulfillment of his promises. And, and Zechariah says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because we're beginning to see what God is doing. And he's doing it. This is the fulfillment of his prophecies. Well, what does the Spirit give us? Well, if you turn to, say, Isaiah 11, chapter 3, it's the spirit of wisdom, of truth, of understanding, of righteous judgment. All these things come from the Spirit. It is The Spirit also gives us the content of the message. It gives us the dreams, the visions, the words. It is also empowerment. Remember Isaiah 61 that Jesus quotes. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me too. You are anointed too. You are anointed for. You're not just anointed. When God gave you his spirit, he didn't, I mean, he's there when you're sitting on the sofa. But he's also called you for a purpose as well. And if we lose sight of that, we, we can miss it. We're empowered by the spirit but also legitimacy and authority to act on God's behalf. That's what you've been given. You know, um, people can say that a stop sign is just a symbol, but you're going to need to stop. <laughs> um, when a policeman wears a badge, that, that badge is a piece of metal, but behind that badge stands the, the full authority of those who commissioned him. You have the Holy Spirit on your life, and behind that anointing is the full authority of the one who gave it to you. He stands behind you as you move forward to accomplish that to which you have been called. And what does God do as we obey? We see it in verses 30 and 31. The first thing he does is he confirms his word. As we tell people about Jesus, we see things happen. We see people believe or don't believe, both are confirmation of his word. Um, we see people saved and lives changed. And that's confirmation of his word. But that's the other thing that he does. He saves those who call upon the name of the Lord for help and deliverance. You know, the first and most valuable prayer that you may ever pray is Jesus help me. That was the prayer I first prayed, and my life has never been the same. Um, he saves those who call upon him for rescue. Mm -hmm. So why is this all a big deal? Well, Joel continues and tells us why. Because after this, what God is doing right now during this season is calling a people to himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And after that comes the judgment. He'll pour out judgment upon the world. And he says, this is the time that is a time of rescue. When you can become part of the people of God, if you'll respond to what I've done, 
that all the judgment that fell that should have fallen upon you, I've placed upon my son so that whoever you are and wherever you are, you can run to me for refuge. Amen. You can find shelter in the city of Zion. Yes. You can come to the heavenly Jerusalem and draw near and be saved. But this is the moment of time that you've got. And that's what the Lord offers us now. And that's why it's a big deal. The fact that God uses all kinds of people to speak to us means this. We need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. You, you see, Joel's vision that, he, that, that God has given him and the pronouncement that he has made means that it may be your sister that has a word for you. It may be your brother. It may be your father. It may be your mother. It may be your child. Amen. It may be your grandchild. We need to pay attention because God anoints and uses those whom he desires. There ain't no other category than God wills it. Amen. That's the one category that there is for the kind of person God uses, the kind that he wants to <laughs> so it changes the way that we, we listen. It also changes the way that we speak because you never know when is going to be your last opportunity to share the good news with someone. Because you never know when you might have a word of encouragement for someone. And so we speak to one another with an ear toward God and the weight of eternity on us. Because every word that we speak is an investment in the eternity of someone that God has brought into our lives. So, here's what ha here's what the thing about Joel that, that really blew my mind this week. I was looking at it, and he says, he says, you know, women, men, old and young, and servants and servants. He doesn't say servants and masters. The Spirit of the Lord only falls on servants. Amen. Only falls on servants. You see, whether you come to God as, as, a, as a rich person or as a beggar, as royalty or in poverty, to serve God, we must be servants. To serve Him, we've got to be servants. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you're no longer an inside technician or an outside technician. You are there to serve God and the person whom God has sent you to serve. Amen. And that's it. You're there to serve God and serve the one he sent you to. And he hasn't sent you to exclude them. He's sent you to give them an opportunity to be included. To call them to God through Jesus Christ. And so the greatest determination that you can make, knowing that you are a child of God, knowing that you have been saved through the blood of Jesus, the greatest determination that you can make is to be God's servant. And it's crucial, and everything rides on it, because God has given you a message that answers the world's every hope and undermines the world's every desire. It answers the world's every hope and undermines the world's every desire. In other words, it's a message that everyone needs to hear and nobody wants to hear. And that's the message that's been entrusted to you, and you're in good company. Isaiah said, how long do I have to preach? And God said, until all stop listening to you. 
To tell it, you've got to become God's handmaidens and God's servants. The prophetic ministry has been given to you, and it's not about power. It's about self-sacrificial service. There's, there's three things that are just the realities of the ministry of the word given to God's people. The first one, it's about serving God and serving people. It's never about myself. It's always about him. It's always about you. Number two, you'll be rejected. Number three, the word that you give will be shown to be true in time. This is what Jesus said about himself. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And not even his disciples believed him. And then he said, the, the Son of Man must suffer many things and then be killed by the hands of the Gentiles. And on the third day, rise from the dead. And Peter rebuked him. And the more he preached, the more we hated him. And the more we hated him, the more true his word was shown to be. His prophetic word depended not only on him saying accurately what would happen to him, but also saying accurately how we would respond to him. He not only spoke of the way that he would die, which we could probably pull off if we were tricky enough. He told about the way he would be raised from the dead. I challenge you to do that. <laughs> he stated exactly what we would do, and we did it. And when we couldn't take it anymore, we nailed him to a tree, and he gave his life for us who held the hammer and the nails. And this is what he told us. As the world hated me, so it will hate you. You should never expect better treatment than Jesus got. You should never expect a greater reception. So I guess i got to ask you, will you risk it? Will you risk it? Will you follow him? Is your life about preserving power or serving people? Is your life about handing things off to the inside technician or going in and serving and loving people to Jesus. It is God's calling about God's love for you or God's love for the world, really? Are you more interested in being liked? Or are you concerned for people's souls? Are you more interested in gaining your family's approval? Or they're gaining heaven? Amen. Are you more eager to keep your drinking buddies or smoking buddies or card-playing buddies? Or are you more interested in risking them to have companions on the way to heaven? Amen. Is it more important to you to seem sophisticated, intelligent, and accepting than to offer eternal life? Yes. You know, I don't know what it is. We might need more of the Spirit. We might need the Spirit to have more of us. But the question is, you know, the evidence of the Spirit is this. It's one thing simply. It's that your lips and your life say the same thing. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's the one thing 1 Corinthians 12 says, that no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit of God. Amen. The true evidence that you have the Spirit is that you are able to say, Jesus is 
God has given you this, this truth that tears down every lie. Let's do prophet practice. Jesus is Lord. Amen. God has given you the word that topples wickedness and false power. Jesus is Lord. God has shown you the future to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God's message that he has given you can only be spoken by the power of the Spirit. Jesus is Lord. God has given you the hope for which the world longs and for which heaven stands on tiptoe to see. Even the angels long to see. Jesus is Lord. He's entrusted that to you. Every time we pray, thy kingdom come, that's what we're praying. That everything would come into line with this one reality. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. The one place where we have some control over it is right here. The control to the degree that we can surrender. Control to the degree that we can say, Lord, I'm done trying to do it. I give all that I am to you. That's what we're called to do. Simply that. Take this. Take these. Take these and these. Take these, take me, and use me to your glory, for your purpose, so that my life and my lips would have one message. Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're at all different places but we desire your love and your glory to be made known. And we desire that you would use us to make it known. We come scared, apprehensive, questioning, wondering, whatever it might be. But we also come knowing that your word says that you can do abundantly more than we can ask or think, and that you do that through the church. And we look there and we see that's us. But that means that it's not just me, it's not just her, it's not just him. That it's all of us together. That when we are together, people can see more of Jesus than we have. So we ask that you would use us, Lord. But we also ask, use me, Lord. And we thank you for the things that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.